This podcast is brought to you by GoMoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. Want to increase revenue, improve the customer experience, and maximize service efficiency? Go to GoMoto.com to learn more. That's G-O-M-O-T-O.com. Hello, and welcome to Daily Drive. It's Thursday, February 24th, 2022. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. Earnings season for automakers means profit-sharing season for the UAW. We'll take a deeper look into how that works with a Federal Reserve Policy Advisor a little bit later in the show. First, let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Let me say off the top regarding Russia's invasion of Ukraine that I don't have anything new to report on what it means to the to the auto industry. At this point, we'll be watching how the conflict interferes with operations, the impact on commodity prices, and how sanctions will ripple through the global economy. Just one quick uh, refresh. GM left Russia in 2015. Ford mostly quit in 2019. Automakers with operations in Russia include Stellantis, Renault, and Volkswagen. Let's start with Tesla. Yesterday, we learned that the maker of the Model Y plans to expand parts production at its Shanghai factory. That was from a document filed with the government saying the automaker will add production workshops and increase the number of workers. Investment amounts were redacted. Now, Reuters is reporting that Tesla plans to start work on a new plant in Shanghai as soon as next month, as part of a plan to more than double production capacity in China. Reuters is citing two people familiar with the matter, the company and the city, are not commenting. Tesla's Shanghai factory currently has capacity to produce a combined 450,000 Model 3 and Model Y vehicles each year. Mercedes-Benz had a good 2021, but it warns that profitability at its main car division is likely to slip this year. The semiconductor shortage will remain a hurdle, even as the crunch eases throughout the year. Add in surging raw material costs, and the company projects numerous supply chain headaches. Last year, sales of higher-priced vehicles helped bolster the company's bottom line. Earnings before interest and taxes more than doubled to $15.6 billion. In the U.S., Toyota is partnering with charging company EVGo, The automaker will give one year of unlimited free charging at all EVGO-owned and operated public charging stations for customers who purchase or lease the BZ4X. The electric compact crossover goes on sale this summer. It's expected to have up to a 250-mile range in the U.S. EVGO operates more than 800 fast charging stations and thousands of level 2 charging stations in the U.S. Supplier Teneco is being acquired by affiliates of Apollo Global Management. The $1.6 billion deal will take the supplier of mufflers and other car parts private. Apollo will pay about $20 a share, which is nearly twice Teneco's closing price on Tuesday. Apollo may feel like it got a steal, though. The shares were trading above $22 in June. The deal is expected to close in the second half of the year. Online used vehicle retailer Carvana plans to add 3,500 jobs at its new Atlanta campus over the next several years. The facility is already one of the company's largest locations with more than 1,500 employees. Through three quarters this year, Carvana's revenue has more than doubled 
to $3.5 billion. It reports full-year results later today. And that's the news you need to know. Stellantis is paying record profit-sharing to UAW members. GM and Ford are both near all-time highs. We'll look at the contentious history of the system after this. Listen to Fred Hayes, service manager at Temecula Valley Buick GMC, and Philip Candido, fixed operations director, talk about their experience with GoMoto in their service drive. Before GoMoto, the backups in the service lane were due to not being able to get to the customer in a, in a timely manner. There's times where menus are passed over where the advisor forgets to tell them, hey, it needs its major service. And now with the GoMoto, customers are presented with a maintenance package every time. The time freed up from not having the customer sitting in front of them every single time they come in. It helps them be more efficient. It helps them focus more on the customer's concern and the, the maintenance and service of the vehicle. Before GoMoto, we would average approximately 130000 in service gross. The kiosk in the service drive doubled the gross profit in the dealership. It's amazing, 100%. Using the GoMoto kiosk makes the dealership more profitable. Want to increase revenue, improve the customer experience, and maximize service efficiency just like Temecula Valley? Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. That's G-O-M-O-T-O.com. It might make sense to think that record profits at automakers, where workers are represented by the UAW, would mean record payouts to union members. That's basically the case now, but it hasn't always been that way. Consider GM's track record. Before its bankruptcy in the UAW contract of 2011, GM paid an average of less than $300 a year to its members. Since then, the average has been more than 9000 more than 30 times as much. Even adjusting for inflation, profit sharing since 2011 is up 18-fold. As my guest, Kristen Zichek, policy advisor at the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago, Detroit branch, explains the idea has a contentious history. Kristen Zichek, welcome to Daily Drive. Thank you for having me. So, First off, we just saw the Stellantis uh, UAW profit sharing payout uh, yesterday, the average. Um, these are across the board, these, these look like the biggest payouts or certainly among the biggest uh, since profit sharing has began with the UAW. Is that right? And, and what's driving that? They absolutely are among the biggest payouts. Um, you know, they, there was a big change in profit sharing in 2011. Um, they went from having a fairly incomprehensible uh, structure that you had to know the number, you know, the ratio of hourly workers to salary workers and all kinds of inputs into this to a formula that is basically read the profits in the paper and divide through, and then you know what the average payout will be. So um, it's a much cleaner, um, more transparent uh, way of, of calculating profit sharing. And it has led to um, I don't know that the formula itself has led to higher profit sharing. What has led to higher profit sharing is higher profits, period. Um, and you know the formula that existed prior to 2011 had a kicker in it that after a certain period of time, or I'm sorry, at a certain level of profitability, the payout increased even more. So you could have seen even higher payouts 
using the old formula if you had all the you know the inputs to that formula to to run through um but yeah higher profits lead to higher profit sharing yep and uh, we certainly are seeing uh sky high profits from the automakers from automakers across the board my recollection had been that the formula was like a thousand dollars for every billion earned in north america but Obviously, the Stellantis payout is calculated differently based on profit margin. Right. So Stellantis has been different since the recalculation. And yeah, it moved in 2019 to be $900 for every 1% in profit margin uh, generated in North America. That that worked out well for them this year. It did. It's good margin. (laughs) It was indeed. So at the same time, it seems like, well, that it's easier more cost efficient for automakers to idle plants than it used to be but before the bankruptcy and uh, under under the older contracts what what changed to make that uh, work more easily was it just getting rid of the the jobs bank that uh, had been a real uh, a real burden for the automakers as they were shrinking as GM and Ford were really shrinking their North American footprint yeah I mean a short-term idling, like we've seen with these supply chain disruptions, has always been handled with, um, you know, the workers go on unemployment and then they get something called supplemental unemployment benefits, and that or subpay, and subpay pluses up um, to roughly 85% of pay. Um, so it's the difference between whatever the state unemployment benefit is and uh, 80 or 85% of their pay. Um, and that has a time clock on it. So if you're a mm-hmm. legacy worker, you've been there since before 2007, um, you get up to 52 weeks of supplemental unemployment benefits. Um, and if the state benefit falls off, then the supplemental employment is all of it. Um, and then after 52 weeks, it goes to a 50% rate, and that is another 52 weeks. But again, that's dependent on your level of seniority. So newer workers, um, their uh, level of supplemental employment is lower and they don't have access to that sub that transitional support or that 50% year. Well, and I ask about it in large part because of course, during COVID we've had this chip shortage and we've seen the automakers really prioritize, you know, big pickups, big SUVs, luxury vehicles, you know, with high profit margins on them. While Mm -hmm. some factories like uh, just to pick on one, you know, GM's plant in Fairfax, Kansas, which is just, it's been idled for months at a time. Uh, and so, you know, the it's allowed better profits by the automakers. But my, again, my recollection on the uh, profit sharing payouts is they're really based on the, the number of hours you work. So somebody at a plant that just wasn't getting chips uh, they probably aren't getting the average, you know, like a $10,000 check from GM, at least according to the formula. Is that right? So, yes, at least according to the formulas, uh, that is true. So there is some uh, reporting and some uh, messaging to the membership that uh, UAW leaders are negotiating with the companies about that, you know, supply constricted production and its uh, disproportionate impact on the workforce and that, you know, they're looking to have some kind of uh, resolution, kind of, you know, outside of the formula, extra formula Mm. um, kind of uh, approach to that. And it's true that, you know, they haven't always paid just strictly on the profit sharing formula. Um, Back in 2015, 
uh, GM paid an extra $2,000 non-contractual bonus to everyone. Um, you know, in 2016, Ford pulled ahead $1,500 of their profit sharing um, into the signing bonus on the 2015 contract. So it's not always been just strictly by, by the books, by the formula. So there could be some changes there, but they're, you know, of course, negotiating that right now. Yeah, no, it's a, that's a really good point. They, they do have, have that leeway. Um, so I guess kind of the big takeaway, it seems like if you'll forgive a little uh, business school jargon, it seems to be the situation of, of share, stakeholder alignment. You know, the things that make money for shareholders and generate executive bonuses are largely the same strategies that boost profit sharing for laborers, for union members. So are they, are they kind of all one big happy family now or, or are they just kind of at least rowing in the same direction? Well, I think one big happy family is a bit more than I can comment on. Um, but, you know, this is uh, this contingent pay structure. Um, go, you know, it goes back to uh, 1982 when it was first instituted and the first payouts were on 1983 profits. Um, it caused a rift in the UAW. The Canadian auto workers split from the from the uh, UAW. They used to be a division of the UAW um, in part over the philosophy around taking um, a gain sharing payment. Uh, you know, when we had uh, the workers who were paid second tier wages, you know, in the uh, 2011 to 2016 kind of period, you know, those pay those payouts of you know seven, eight, nine thousand dollars a year could be you know a quarter or a third of their annual income, and it would be there one year and not guaranteed the next, and that is, you know. If you go back into history, that's part of why uh, the Canadian auto workers uh, split became the CAW later Unifor um, over this kind of approach to to compensation. So the companies um, and the UAW have agreed to this contingent compensation that when the company does well, they will share that with workers, and when they're having lean years, they're not locked into those higher uh, wage increases that might have otherwise been. Um, in the place of this profit sharing formula. Great. What do you make of Stellantis CEO Carlos Tavares' comments that absenteeism in the high in the U.S. is higher than in Italy or France or any other country where they do business? I don't have any data to compare that. Um, and you know, absenteeism has been an issue throughout the pandemic. Um, so, you know, I don't know under what time period he's looking at either. So you look at, you know, the places where the COVID uh, pandemic has hit hardest and Detroit and Michigan was uh, hit very early on. We took a very hard uh, beating uh, here in this region um, with the Omicron wave. You know, I, it's hard to even think about what, um, what absenteeism looks like in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah, cer certainly very messy statistics. That's a very good yeah. point. <laughs> yeah. Kristen Zichek, thank you so much for your time. It's been, a, been great to get your perspective on these, uh, on these contracts. Great. Thanks, Jamie. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. You can get all the news on corporate earnings, labor, and human resources at autonews.com. Thanks to Nathan Kadick for editing today's show. Thanks to the ANTV team and web editor Victor Galvan for their help. And thanks to you for listening.
and making this show part of your daily routine. Now, let's get back to work.